The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus spoke to the crowd, saying, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. <clears throat> One of my most painful breakups in high school was with a young man named Brad. We started off strong. In fact, in the halls of Marshalltown High School, we were referred to as a couple, certain to succeed and marry, thus fulfilling the romantic image of high school sweethearts. However, however, after six months of dating, I received a note in my locker. Those of you of a certain age remember this. Before texting and cell phones, the only way of covertly communicating during school was through hand-scribbled notes. And you may even remember that sinking feeling upon opening your locker and seeing a note hit the floor that had been covertly slipped through the locker slots during passing time. Such notes always contained either very good or very bad. This particular note read, and this is verbatim because I memorized it, Dearest Sarah, this has been great, but alas, I have been disillusioned these months and I am increasingly unintrigued by you. <laughs> you are not what I expected, and so I bid you farewell. All my love, Brad. You might have noticed Brad had a penchant for the dramatic and was, in fact, a thespian. Nonetheless, I was crushed, as we humans so often are, when informed that we fail to meet the expectations of other people, because in the end, who really is who we expect them to be? And really, is it even possible to engage another person unencumbered by the preconceived expectations we hold of who we expect them to be versus who they really are? Brad and I parted ways, except for some very awkward moments on the set of Fiddler on the Roof in his senior year, wherein he played Rip Tevye and I was set assistant, 
smoldering with self-righteous teenage anger, glaring at him at every opportunity and intentionally and loudly dropping props so as to distract his rehearsals, apologizing only that I was increasingly unintrigued by this play. (laughs) Brad and I reconnected via Facebook years later, and he asked my forgiveness for hurting him. He and his 20 years now live in Minneapolis with their three children, and I wish them all the best. All of this begs the question, is anyone really who we expect them to be? In other words, do I love this person, or do I love the idea of them? This question translates to love of country, even as this weekend we celebrate our 244th birthday as a nation. The question is, do we love our land of democracy, or do we love the idea of it? Do we really love this land of the free and home of the brave, or are we merely intrigued by the theory of democracy? When push comes to shove in these days of renewed civil rights movements, do we say things like, I can't wait for these protests to be over so that life can get back to normal? Or do we say, this is chickens coming home to roost for white injustice against black brothers and sisters? Because if we really believe in the freedoms of this country and pledge our allegiance, we must first proclaim them for those whom we fear most, despise most, criticize most, whether that be a political party, a race, a gender affiliation. In other words, for example, if I truly believe in freedom of speech, I must firstly believe this freedom also exists for the person who spews words I most despise. If I believe in the freedom of religion, I must believe in this freedom for religions that offend me most. If I believe in the freedom for all people, I must stand critically opposed to the disproportionate of unfounded felonious indictments of black and brown people in our, cousin, in our country's prison system, as you are invited to discuss this evening at 6 o'clock with LCM students based on the documentary 13th. So, do I love equal rights for all people, or do I love the idea of it? even as I continue to embody, perpetuate, and promote racist and misogynistic agendas. This question of expectations translates very well to our patriotic landscape. Do I love democracy as long as it serves my agenda, or do I only love the idea of it when my agenda is opposed, when necessary democratic messiness emerges and our buildings are strewn with graffiti and our statues are toppled? and our team mascots and county names are called into question, at which point maybe I become increasingly unintrigued by all of it and withdraw back into my comfortable and socially distanced corner from which I can throw stones. What did people in Jesus' time expect of John the Baptist? Jesus asks this in the verses preceding our gospel for today. He asks the people, what did you expect? of John the Baptist. Did you expect a weak reed shaken by the wind, someone who easily bends to the will of popular opinion or authoritative power? Did you expect to find a bland and squidgy prince in soft robes? Did you expect a blustering, swaggering, hubristic CEO or rock star or five-star general? Well, you got none of that. Instead, You found a man dressed in rags, eating whatever bugs he could scrape up, 
spewing words of fire, words of repentance, and words that got him imprisoned, and words that got him executed just to shut him up. No, John was not what people expected. It turns out the people, especially those holding the most power, loved the idea of a prophet, but they didn't really appreciate the prophet himself because he didn't look or eat or speak like they expected. These holders of power certainly did not appreciate John's prophecy that a new king was coming, whose ways would upend the world as they knew it. Turns out the idea of a prophet is fine, as long as he or she stays on their soapbox. But the minute you start messing with actual power systems like class and race, caste and gender, it is guaranteed you will be silenced. Nonetheless, regardless of what the people expected, John was who the people got. And now we encounter Jesus. And here we stumble upon the most difficult question for people of faith. Do we like Jesus or do we like the idea of Jesus? Jesus clearly fails to meet the expectations of those who were awaiting him, as we see in our gospel for today. You didn't dance for us like we wanted, they say. You haven't expressed yourself as we'd hoped you would, they say. You didn't fast or abstain from food and drink like we had hoped you would, and now we see that you are a drunken and a glutton, they say. Your Nazareth accent offends us. Your sermons make us uncomfortable. You do not associate with the right people. Your pedigree is inadequate, they say. Your skin, eye, hair color are not what we're looking for in a savior, sorry, they say. It turns out you're not at all who we've been expecting. You are not the Messiah we've been waiting for. And so we have no choice but to kill you, as we did your cousin John, and all other prophets who failed to meet our expectations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Oscar Romero, MLK. If you will not hold your tongue, we will hold it for you in death. Turns out, then, many love the idea of Jesus more than actual Jesus. Because actual Jesus threatens the systems that we have created to benefit ourselves Let's think about this, really. Does our, our, does our idea of Jesus fit the actual Jesus that we encounter in this gospel? For example, can we love Jesus when he rants, when he loses it? I have ranted as a mother. Trust me, it's not pretty. I've yelled so hard, I've gagged myself. But there are six verses omitted from today's gospel. Six verses. Because they don't fit the largely expected image of Jesus. We remove ranting Jesus so that we can rest comfortably in nice Jesus. Can we love the actual Jesus when he looks at cities and villages and says, much like a ranting mother, why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? That's what's in these omitted verses. Ranting and woes. The woes are missing. The rant is cut out. Why do we omit these verses? Because this is not who we expect Jesus to be. He's not saying what we expected him to say. We don't expect Jesus to be angry. We certainly don't expect him to rant, because this makes us uncomfortable, and it does not easily preach to congregations. But we can't skip the woes. God knows we know this today. We love the woes, and that's the truth of it. 
The woes are a crucial part of this story. It's where grit and honesty emerge. It's where frustration finds voice. We are living in the woes. Truth be told, in these six verses, Jesus lets the people have it. Who here is from the town of Chorazin, he yells. Bad news for you. Anyone here from Bethsaida? Same. You should have been more like the towns of Tyre and Sidon who for their sins. Anyone here from Capernaum? Well, you're going straight to hell for your unrepentant ways. I tell you, on the last day, the city of Sodom, had we already not destroyed that, would fare better than you. It's like Jesus screaming at a disobedient child. Why can't you be more like your brother? Arizona, why can't you be more like New York? United States, why can't you be more like New Zealand? It's an incomprehensible right now, these woes that we're living in. The way our states and countries point at and blame one another while people die. This is worth ranting about and protesting because it's the most vulnerable populations who are being most harmed. It's the communities of black and brown people whose communities are ravaged by COVID-19, many of whom have lost their jobs and health care due to this pandemic. While blame and scapegoating go on, people are dying. We cannot omit these verses today, these woes, because ours are the days of the woes. In the woes wherein Jesus rants about Chorazin and Bethsaida, Capernaum, woes that we comfortably admit, Jesus never once forgets that people's lives are at stake, even in, especially in, the midst of political subversion and inversion. That human beings are living and dying at the hands of these governments and power structures who care less for the well-being of their people and more for their own re-election or accrual of wealth and power by any means necessary. Jesus does not avoid the woes, and we shouldn't either, even if it's not what we expect or even prefer from him. In this way, the actual Jesus is far more badass than the expected Jesus. And yet... When Jesus stops his rant, and he stops yelling, he pauses and says, Come to me, you who are weary of judging others, you who are weary of being judged, you who don't dance correctly, who don't react properly, who don't look or act like you're supposed to. Come to me, you who drink too much or not at all, you who binge and you who starve yourselves. Come to me. You who run around with the wrong people and sit at the wrong lunch table, come to me, masked or unmasked, socially distanced or not. Come to me, all races and orientations and identities. Come to me from your mansions or high-density housing. Come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. Mic drop. Rant over. Grace drenching the people gospel proclaimed. And in these moments that follow, Jesus pushes even further beyond what we had ever expected and says, but I'm going to pay attention first to those who have been yoked, who bow and serve, the ones who most need an easy yoke and a light burden, those who have been called and treated as beasts of burden, those whose backs bear the scars of injustice and violence. In this way, Jesus explodes apart our expectations. 
Who speaks to a yoked people? Who addresses burdened people? Jesus does. This is the actual Jesus, because who knows a yoke better than a Who most needs a lighter yoke more than a people who know all too well iron collars, punishment collars, wooden yokes, actual yokes that have been fastened around actual human necks? Who needs freedom more than a people whose ancestors were sunk into waterless pits during transoceanic ships where countless died? This gospel of Jesus proclaims it's not a governmental decree or a constitutional mandate, although this gospel indeed challenges and overturns these things. Rather, this gospel is a basic Christian tenet that we all confess with each creed, prayer, and hymn of praise. That however creeds or constitutions might try to contain or categorize or relegate the power of the resurrected Christ, Jesus shatters this expectation. Because the power of the resurrected Christ, the thing that authorities in his day could not tolerate, and the thing that authorities in our day cannot tolerate, is that he says the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And what that means for most of us, we have privilege, is that we will have to wait. Waiting which our black and brown brothers and sisters have known for centuries, a waiting which often for them resulted in never to vote to learn, to speak, to travel, to earn, to thrive. It's now our turn to wait for others to enter into God's reign first, whether it be at a lunch counter, a bus, or a voting line. That power, whether human or divine, is not ours to dole out according to our personal expectations. That the reality of Christ has nothing to do with what we expect of him as he comes to vindicate the ones who know violence and brutality and dehumanization at the hands of the state because he knew these things all too well. The actual Christ reigns, pouring out this power and grace over the entire cosmos, paying zero heed to our expectations. Our takeaway question for today to wrestle with and to ponder is this. Do I love the idea of Jesus? The idea of Jesus. The Jesus who looks like me, speaks like me, loves the same people I love, victimizes the same people I victimize, who votes like I vote? Or do I love the reality of Jesus and all of the power that he actually embodies? The reality that Jesus is the human embodiment of a God who stretched out his arms on the cross to embrace all people, whose grace never fails to intrigue, surprise, and fascinate, and whose resurrection redeems all people, starting first with those at the back of the line and the back of the bus.